Welcome to The Wood Podcast, where we explore solutions to some of the world's most critical challenges in energy and the built environment. I'm your host, Lauren Gallagher. Thank you for joining the first episode in our Water Innovation Series, coming to you after the Northumbrian Water Innovation Festival. There were a number of technical challenges tackled at this year's event. One that Wood teamed up with client Northumbrian Water on was innovating new approaches to decarbonizing water operations. How are water companies challenged in achieving decarbonization and efficiency goals for our future? How is the annual Water Innovation Festival helping to solve these challenges? How will the outputs bring water operators one significant step ahead in their path to carbon neutrality? Today's guests are excited to share their insights and successes from the recent event. I would like to introduce Angela McCosker, Head of Innovation at Northumbrian Water, a PhD physical chemist and creator of novel solutions to complex challenges in water and other sectors. She is known for bringing new products to market and commercial ingenuity. She is one of the minds behind Northumbrian's recent innovation festival. Angela is based in Newcastle. Hey, nice to be with you today. Pleasure to have you with us. Also joining us is Andy Wallace, leader of Wood's water engineering team in the UK. With an extensive background in designing and delivering major water infrastructure projects throughout the UK, Middle East, and Americas, Andy is passionate about new ideas that solve unique water challenges and contribute to communities in a meaningful way. He has been involved with the Northumbrian Water Festival for three years and led Wood's participation this year. Andy is based in Bristol. Hi, Andy. Hello, I'm looking forward to this conversation today. We're thrilled to have you. And last but not least, we have Sean Allen, Wood's global digital and technology leader for its consulting business. Sean successfully grew Wood's MedOcean forecasting business to leading market position. He is currently responsible for identifying disruptive innovation and technologies and investments that set Wood apart from its competitors, as well as digital talent required to deliver new solutions across the organization. Sean is based in St. John's, Newfoundland. Hi, Sean. Delighted to be here today, Lauren. Thank you all for joining today. So like many industrial and utility sectors, water companies today are under tremendous pressure to innovate faster than ever to enhance efficiencies and decarbonize operations. In the UK, the water sector is the fourth most energy intensive industry, contributing about 5 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions each year. It's also the first sector in the UK and one of the first major sectors in the world to commit to a carbon zero future by 2030. What role does the water industry play in addressing the climate crisis and how is it challenged? Yes, so obviously the road to carbon neutrality is top of everybody's mind right now. We only have to have seen, certainly in the UK, the David Attenborough programs to be utterly you know, horrified by what potential future uh, awaits us all if we don't get on this this journey and certainly re responsible businesses are very keen to embrace this challenge and to work together in order to uh, to meet these goals so you're quite right the water sector in the UK has stepped forward and has pledged that it wants to be carbon neutral by 2030 and Northumbrian Water has actually set its challenge to try and see if we can get that three years ahead of that particular deadline. Clearly, we're a big energy user, big chemical user. We operate a fleet. So we have lots of ways in which we know that we could change what we're doing for the better to meet that goal. 
much as we've just been talking about the UK water sector there, actually the challenge is exactly the same across the world. And this is all against the backdrop, particularly in the UK, of really there's a there's a cost pressure going on. Um, costs are being driven down for all the all the right reason, but you put the cost pressure against this driving down of carbon neutrality, and it's a really tricky position for water companies to be in at the moment. But they can't. Um, you can tap into other sectors to understand what other sectors have done to help them develop ideas about how we can move as a water sector. One of the first steps always in, in solving problems and understanding how are you going to reduce your carbon footprint is to understand from the data that you already have what it's telling you. And, you know, looking forward in time, the next step in that process would be taking action from what the data t is telling you, but it's also about understanding where the gaps in the data are so that maybe we have to put new sensors out there that that fill in the, the voids in data and give us new information that allow us to become even more optimal in the way we operate. You're absolutely right, Sean. Um, I think that uh, we probably don't have all of the data that we need today. And the data that we have may be of variable quality. So understanding that is really important. So there are many different aspects of, of how we can tackle this uh, this challenge is, uh, is there to be had. Uh, one of the reasons why I was attracted to come into the water sector was because it is absolutely ripe for innovation. It probably hasn't been at the forefront of uh, businesses that you would necessarily link with innovation. So therefore, being able to come in and really leverage some of the great stuff that's going on in other sectors uh, and really make a difference to this to this sector is uh, is ripe for the having, which is why it's an exciting place to be right now. Well, coming back on your point, Sean, actually, some of the, the clever angles here is is not all oh, we need lots of new sensors. We need lots of more we need lots more information it's majoring on what information do you got or do you have at the moment and what does that tell us at the moment what can we do with what you're already collecting what can we do with what is uh, relatively cheap for you to collect what can we do to enhance the insight that that information gives you and actually it was just using the existing data in a better way So far, we've talked about some of the challenges water companies are facing today. Now let's focus on solutions. More than 3,000 online attendees from more than 37 countries around the world logged on, Zoomed, and live streamed through Northumbrian Water's first virtual innovation festival. Angela, how did this all come about? So the Innovation Festival came about uh, because in Northumbrian Water, we were routinely using Google Ventures design sprints to tackle some of the big challenges that we had. And we were seeing the, the real benefits from really having a dedicated, you know, right people in the room, focusing on a challenge that we had, bringing in other people to help work on this. So we were challenged by our CEO to see what we could do to make that bigger. So uh, so my boss, the uh, the CIO, Nigel Watson, had the brilliant idea that we would run a number of those different uh, design sprints all at the same time in the same location. And that was when the 2017 Innovation Festival was born. 
um, one of the uh, one of the good examples of output from the festival um, was in, in the in the first year, a number of the different sprint tents had had the idea that it would be really good to know where other utilities, pipes and um, and, you, and assets were underneath the ground before a dig, because unfortunately that costs the UK at the moment about 1.3 billion with uh, utility strikes during roadworks. So, uh, so it was such a complex problem that we like nothing really came of it. So in year two, we decided to be very determined about solving this problem. And you know what? During that week, we had the underground map uh, of Sunderland completed. We then completed the northeast of England, and now the UK government has adopted this project and is rolling it out across the rest of the country to save all that money. So that's where we coined this year's worth of work and a week idea from. So I'm wondering, what keeps these innovators, scientists, and engineers collaborating through workshops and design sprints on a 24-hour clock, working through the middle of the night? I think what keeps people going in a situation like this at all hours of the night all around the world is just the thrill of seeing something concrete from uh, from the, the challenge we're trying to solve. And I think there's a tremendous amount of energy that is derived from that. So I would definitely agree with that, Sean. This year was a little bit of a leap of faith doing it virtually because we had no idea whether we could, you know, get that same level of enthusiasm, you know, through a Zoom meeting. But much to our glee, the uh, the festival spirit was alive and kicking and teams who did not know each other previously from uh, before the festival came together and still managed to form very strong bonds that really enabled people to collaborate and to work very well and well very effectively but also to have fun and to and to you know to make bonds with people across that week that uh, that really won't be unbroken so it really is something magical about that festival formula that just works it's just it's a brilliant week that comes out with solutions that are surprising each time um we've been involved for 3 years and certainly we've we've come out with solutions that we've then taken into other sectors people in a, in a kind of put up the get rid of boundaries between companies and put up barriers almost a little bit round themselves going right as a group we're going to solve something this week we're going to do it and as you say for it people want to get up early people want to stay up late to go look what we achieved in just one week that's good andy and you know the only other comment i would make in connection with that is that it's so often the case that when we get outside of the boundaries of what we're used to um working within that we we get an idea and a ha moment that would not have been there if the routine had not been broken and in this particular case you know the innovation festival is anything but routine it's the antithesis of routine yeah i'd like to add there that that andy is truly visionary in that we decided ahead of covid that we were going to go global this year it was something that we really wanted to do and and andy was straight in there, uh, totally gets the festival formula, could really see a great opportunity uh, to demonstrate um, the global working of wood and all what that could bring to the festival. And to be honest, the festival would not be the festival without brilliant uh, sponsors and supporters like yourselves. So thank you very much for that.
now that you've all had a chance to catch up on your sleep, let's talk about the process and what you achieved. Andy, do you want to kick off? Okay, so what we um, came up with was we were looking at how we could link our global teams working across many time zones, link their skills using digital innovation to reduce carbon. So it's quite a wide topic to start off with. Um, and then as we approached the festival, we started uh, narrowing it down slightly. We had a, a couple of sessions before just to understand what we could do to make sure we were prepared. And we um, we decided to use our Envision model to uh, to develop a carbon footprint of a treatment works. And then for the rest of the week, it was just building on that. It was building on the ideas. It was using the modeling software and tools that we've got. The output uh, was this digital twin and it looked at data from the past year and provided the carbon footprint every 15 minutes over the past year. One of the things that I found very fascinating, Andy, about the process you followed was that it's very similar to what we call agile methodology and computer programming and the agile methods used for, for more than just the computer industry, of course. But rather than starting with a set of requirements and building to a particular specification, your, your, end, your end point is perhaps unknown um, because you, uh, as you go, you're iterating, you're learning from your mistakes and you're changing course slightly. Well, it led to some really interesting discussions about um, consultancy in a way, about actually, is it better to have a solution in two days that's 80% right or would you like it in two months that 100% right? And there's, there's, that varies. Um, sometimes the 80% solution is perfect and enables those discussions. Sometimes you need the 100% solution. What was really satisfying, though, was the, the Thursday when we had the model and we'd showed the carbon footprint every hour it was for Langford Treatment Works. And it, we could identify and we sat and we had discussions with the operations team. And it was brilliant. The, the engagement from the operations team is really what made the festival for us. Um, being able to sit and have those discussions and say, there's something went on on the 22nd of May. Did you have a shutdown? And they said, yeah, actually, I'll just go and check the diary. Yeah, we had a shutdown on the 22nd. How do you know? And said, well, we can see a spike in the uh, carbon footprint. Um, that suggests that perhaps one of the pumps that you were using um, during the shutdown wasn't operating at its most efficient and we were picking that up. So just having those discussions, enabling those discussions really opened up opportunities going forward for what we could do with this. So how did the Envision software help put the solution together? So what Envision does is pulls the data together from multiple sources and um, provides a graphical interface to show what all those sources are, um, are, are demonstrating. Um, and by doing that, you can actually start looking at trend, long-term trends. And this was one of the interesting discussions we had with operations that... Um, some of the data, they collect volumes of data. And actually, the interesting bit is that some of it then gets lost. In essence, it gets put onto systems. And this gave them the opportunity to look at long-term trends. And whilst uh, I'm sure the ability is there to go and, and dig out the information and, and look at the trends, actually, this was a dead simple visualization of that, which just enabled really good discussions. Actually, where it starts to become really powerful and where we want to take it is to make it real time. 
which is uh, we've already discussed um, in amongst the team how we're going to do this. And we've spoken to the OPSLUP guys within um, Essex and Suffolk. So it's it's easy to achieve. With that, what we can then do is two, two or threefold, really. We can look on a just a site basis what the carbon footprint is, look at the strategies that they're planning on employing to reduce down the carbon footprint, and then measure if they actually achieve the outputs. So that's one really simplistic way of doing it. The next level up is, is for us to apply costs to the model. So, we, so we'll, we'll be able to say at any point in time how much that treatment works is costing to deliver the water that it's doing. But the next step, step up really is then to look at, there's another four treatment works in the region. And if we do the same thing for each treatment works, then we can start to work with existing Northumbrian water systems to play games about where water is treated. And we can not only take a decision on where water is treated based on costs, but we can take a decision based on carbon footprint as well. So when you link up the five treatment works through the Envision model, you can start providing some really good tools that will enable the operators within Essex and Suffolk and within Northumbrian Water to take really, really good decisions and to really support Northumbrian Water driving down their carbon footprint and driving towards this 2027 deadline that is getting closer and closer. Yeah, one simple way to think about it, and I always like to use analogies, is this. Um, Most cars these days... Um, you can get a readout on the vehicle that tells you in real time, like Andy, you were saying, you know, what your what your mileage is or how many kilometers per liter you're achieving at any given time as you drive. And what does that give you? Well, what happens is if you are watching that information in real time, you start to change the way you drive. You might take a different route. You might not accelerate so hard in certain sections. Uh, you may choose to not brake as 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 uh, hard as you normally would, and the ultimate end of all of that is that you will optimize your your gasoline usage, or you could even take an electric vehicle. You could do the very same thing, and you would improve the range that you achieve. And so, really, that's what you're doing here with this carbon data. Um, once you're able to see it, and once you're able to see it in real time, then it starts to affect the decisions that you make. With the end result, like you said, Andy, that you will ultimately end up lowering your your carbon usage. And then you can have further discussions that talk about um, what other things you could do to perhaps um, lower those numbers even further by making investment decisions or operating in a different way. What do you think that this innovation, you know, this idea means for the industry going forward? So in the UK, a lot of carbon reporting is done on a very top-down basis. And a water company might look at overall what their energy usage is and overall what their chemical usage is and, and report on their carbon footprint. What this enables us to do is look from a bottom up and so look on a site basis. And itself not absolutely revolutionary but when you're looking at a site basis what you can then do is look specifically about how you're going to improve the um, carbon footprint of that site now if we could do this across all the sites in the uk all of a sudden 
it starts to all those little all those little improvements start to really add up and it's just it's it's the power of information provide information to the teams that operate the site and they will create new ideas they'll create new ways of working and if they can see the improvements that their new ways of working are having they'll then build on that and these incremental differences will really drive down um the carbon footprint and really drive towards that 2030 deadline that's looming that's really important point you made about top down versus bottom up and again to take another example of that from the covid crisis right in the, initially with a lack of data um what was the tool that was employed to control the crisis it was lockdown society as a whole lockdown a whole country same same um uh method to solve the problem across the board but not very efficient and huge economic cost bottom-up approach now which people understand a lot better is well once you've got data to work with you can track individual cases know where people go you can target lockdowns in specific regions but not necessarily at the country level and in that way you end up managing much more effectively and also you know from an economic point of view it doesn't carry the same cost so we see the potential this innovation has to take us one step closer to achieving our goals. What's next? The true hard bit now is actually, you know, having a good look at all of those different ideas and to get those embedded as business as usual. It is no mean feat uh, getting uh, the ideas up off the ground. So people gave up a week of their time to um, to have the ideas, but actually it needs a lot of tenacity, resilience, and, you know, brilliant um project management now to get those projects now into business as usual, which is now what my job is. But I'm really looking forward to doing it because there are so many good ideas that we're going to see where the pull is, see where they match up with our our ODIs and our business plan and make sure that we have a a balanced portfolio backing the ones that we know are going to have the the big wins, but also perhaps, you know, uh, provide some funding and some uh, support for some of the uh, the smaller, more unusual ideas that you just never know where they're going to take you. But it's also, um, so what we see from it, it's not just what Northumbrian Water can do with these ideas. What this has given us is a springboard to go and, and take this to other customers and and build on it. And as we've said about open innovation, you know, none of this is secret. Um, so we've we've already had discussions with other clients say, look, this is what we've been doing. How would you employ this? What would you do with this? And that's where the discussion has become interesting as well, because everyone will have a slightly different take on it. But we've got this baseline of fundamentally, we've proved that this is possible. The timescales are possible. And then it's just where clients would like to go with it. This has made a real um, uh, interesting point of discussion in our digital twin program, because Andy earlier used the term digital twin for what was done here. And we, you know, we tend to focus perhaps uh, due to our legacy business on oil and gas applications around digital twin. But really, this is a very interesting use case for the water industry, um, looking at something that has to do with sustainability and the environment. And I think it broadens our understanding of what we mean when we use that term digital twin. You can apply it to a host of different areas 
um, even within one industry, the water industry itself. You might think of it as a way of seeing your underground infrastructure or managing your oper- your your fleet operations in real time, but you could also apply it to uh, carbon emissions. And uh, I think it's broadened our appreciation of what, what digital twin actually means and what it can bring to our clients. And for me, the surprising thing was it's the speed, the speed that it can be delivered. I think loads of us have been involved in digital twin projects and sometimes they can feel like something that is coming, that it's almost there, that we're getting there, that we've got ideas about it. But actually to be able to deliver it in four days and say, here it is, this works. It, it was pretty um, mind blowing, that aspect of it. And that gives us excitement going forward. So, well, if we can do this in four days, what can we do in two weeks? What can we do in three weeks if we've got some more time to think about it? Um, so it, it really does open up a huge amount of possibilities that maybe others were thinking about it. From, from my own point of view, um, I, I had digital twins as a medium and long term. This is what could be done, whereas now it's real. We can touch it. We've delivered it. And it's pretty exciting now. And that brings us to the close of this episode in our water innovation series where we talked about the UK water sector's ambition to achieve net zero and how coming together in a one-week sprint brought us one step closer to achieving this goal. If you'd like to connect with today's guests or explore related insights on water, please visit us at woodplc.com podcast, where you can also subscribe and receive updates to the Wood Podcast. At Wood, our curiosity keeps us pushing, innovating, making the impossible possible. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. Take care and be well.